Chris Evans here and welcome back to the best of the breakfast show podcast with Sky coming up on this episode. The hilarious Ramesh Ranganathan has a good old chinwag about his brand new comedy series Avoidance. The one and only Piers Morgan pulls no punches when talking about his nightly talk show on Talk TV. Piers Morgan uncensored. And then there's the super clever Richard Osman donning his own detective hat to take his turn on Who Do You Think You Are on BBC One. And Formula One world champion Jensen Button spills the beans on Sky VIP's competition Dine with Jensen and the Sky Sports F1 team. All of that and more to come. So, Ozzy Jane, if you don't mind, who's up first? As a working class man in a middle class world, our next guest is still trying to understand where he truly belongs. The paperback edition of his brilliant book, A Class Act, is out now. So please welcome a comedian in a class of his very own. It's Rob Beckett. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, morning, Chris. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. So you were at Nebworth, were you? Yes, I went on Saturday, which was good because I knew about that set list from the Friday. Yeah. So I could relax. Because that's the thing, isn't it? You like you, you you can't probably relax worrying about what's gonna but it was it was amazing. It was such a good gig. Right, it so a, we had him on the show a week and a bit ago now, um, Rob, and he said he was gonna he was gonna he was gonna, you know, put in a professional and consummate and, and uh, value for money performance on Friday because his mum was there. But then once he, he knew his mum was back uh, safely secured at home in London, he was gonna give it all the beans on Saturday. How was it? Yeah, he definitely gave it all the beans. But what I think he hasn't been like drinking or partying during his run of gigs because he did. I stayed him in Manchester as well. Mm-hmm. And then, but I saw him. I think have his first Guinness. He had it like just before the final song. Right. And I, that was his happiest face. Forget walking <laughs> out at Nebworth. That first sip, he loved it. Cool. So yeah, no, it was brilliant. He gave everyone left happy. Apart the car part was a nightmare, but apart from that, it was unbelievable. All right, but you still had time to to. Give us a, almost a, um, a, a, an act-by-act act commentary on the Jubilee celebrations on Instagram. Oh, yeah, I did that last night. I just found it... It's, meant, it's mad, isn't it? All the people that kept on popping up. Yeah. It was like, I felt it was a bit like a cheese dream towards the end. There was just buses of celebrities. Did you see the buses of celebrities? I did see the buses of celebrities. Is, I is saw that the that, tube strike? Well, maybe. Maybe that was it, <laughs> Naomi Campbell, yeah. getting a bus for the first time in, well, maybe ever. Who, who knows? Yeah. Uh, but uh, I love Sam Ryder. I know you like Sam Ryder, yeah. too. He has a, you share a similar mouth to him. Huge mouth. I respect the mouth. I'd say he's got a bigger mouth. His mouth's cleaner than mine, I think. It just looks... You've got to keep it clean when you're a singer. That's the thing with a singer's mouth. You've, a mouth that big, you've got to keep it clean. But he's, he's got a wonderful mouth and a wonderful... He's great, isn't he? I like, he's, he's so excited to be everywhere. I know. I mean, you know, that much success with one song, God bless him. And, he, and it's a brilliant song, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, my other highlights were Andrea Bocelli. I loved him. I loved uh, Alicia Keys. Not as much as my kids who just adored Alicia Keys. And the, also the homage to the West End and the musicals. They love that too. D- diversity, I thought, were amazing as well. The diversity, pop music stuff. Uh, we have this new thing called 59 Seconds With on Insta and we prepared your 59 Seconds With and it had a, yeah. ju- it had a Jubilee quiz in it. Oh, oh right, okay, this yeah. could be difficult. You would have loved it. I mean, we're not going to do it now, but we could do it. We could do it. I've only watched the highlight show, but we could give it a go. No, but you see, that's not it. Okay, our Jubilee quizzes. You ready for this? Go on. Do you believe... See? <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. Do you believe England can win the World Cup? Oh, do you know what? <laughs> 
My worry is, yeah, I've, done it, I've got more than 59 seconds. Yeah. I, I'm worried about the defence. I think our centre-backs are decent, but we're so attacking. I think that's where we're weak. And I'm, that's why I'm worried about. But I think we can, but I'm stressed about it. And, right. I've, and, I'm, and I think there's too much expectation now and I'm panicking and I'm talking too much because I really want it to happen, but I don't think... I think we missed our chance at the Euros. That's what I think, Chris. OK. Do you believe in ghosts? Um, no. Do you believe in a thing called love? Uh, yes. <laughs> so I've just realised this is quick fire and I spent about two minutes on England. Yeah, it would have been terrible. <laughs> Sorry. The, we'd have had to get the scissors right in there straight away. Do you believe in the format point? Do you believe of, in a big gun? Uh, do you believe in the format now? Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, you, the questions about your book were going to be... Yeah. Okay, uh, so what is, what, is your pap- what is the paperback version of your book uh, called? A Class Act. Okay, when is it available? Now. Why is it available? Um, why is it available? <laughs> Contract reasons. And some people don't have hardbacks, I imagine. Stephen Merchant said, to pay for my second home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. He's uh, doing all right. I dis- think he's already got one of them. Isn't he? <laughs> I think he's got a few. Um, describe your the paperback version of your book in three words, no more. Um, easily portable. Uh, that's, okay, you can have a third word. I should have said three words, shouldn't I? Describe... I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm rubbish my own fault, man. Describe the paperback version of your book in three words. Um, very easily portable. <laughs> Describe Ramesh in three words. Um, kind, tired, sad. <laughs> now that's projection. <laughs> that is you looking in the mirror, pal. <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> yeah, tell your therapist those no. three words. No, I don't. I think the, the first two I'll take, but I don't. I don't no, feel it's sad. Funny, it's funny, man. It's funny. Um, uh, did, describe your career so far in three words. Career so far. Um, oh, I don't, that's difficult. Um, sustained. <laughs> <laughs> sustained. Surprising. And busy. Sus- and suspect. Suspect. <laughs> surprising and yeah. continually suspect. Please carry on. All would right. be the three words. Please carry on. Okay, then my final question was going to be, um, Egg, is she going to World Cup or what? Well, I'm in Australia. So this is this is the, goes back to the Australia one, right? Yes. I'm in Australia for the group stages. Uh-huh. But I'm flying back from Australia for the knockouts. But I literally have to go past Qatar to get home. Now, how do you like that for scheduling, Chris Evans? Yeah, how do you knowingly go past Qatar when the World Cup's on and you're a football well, fiend? Exactly. So I could technically... You have to stop over on the way back from Australia. Yeah. So I could technically stop in Qatar for a couple of days just to get over the jet lag, maybe see some games yeah. and then fly back. Okay. So I can't get there for the group stages, but maybe for knockout if we make it. Right, and then we were going to finish 59 seconds with, with yeah. you and I swaying back and forth, right? Yeah. Singing three lines. So let's just do that anyway. Okay, so you ready? Um, one, two, three. Three lines. Come uh, on. One, is, two, are we actually doing this? Yeah, yeah. Three. Okay, yeah, one, this, seems, two, this, seems, this, seems, this seems mental. This. Well, no, I'm it's not quite sure. mental. Okay. Life's mental. All right, okay. We know how this ends. Which side are you going first? I can't do the mirror on Zoom. Left or right first? Let's just, let's, <laughs> look, let's just put it out there and let the universe sort it. Okay. okay. You ready? Yeah, one, I'm ready. Two, three. Three. Three no, words Rob, on come on. No, no. Come on, get it straight in there. One, two, three. 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 Oh, no, Rob, on. come on. You leave. Well, I don't you, know what I'm doing wrong. You, you're coming in too late, pal. Sorry. Okay. okay. 
I'm never been very good at singing. You, you, I mean, you, you can you, stop the deal. You start first. Go on. You, okay. You, go on. You, Three no, lines. No, you're gonna give me a clue. You're gonna count me in, man. No, I'm not good at music, Chris. I can I. I cannot it's stress you. Stop music. counting. My skill set level is so limited. All, right, okay. All I can, I've got nothing in the locker. Is, <laughs> you know, like James Corden goes to America and does tap dancing, yeah, singing, yeah, yeah, and rapping. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. nothing. It's mental that I've oh, got a career in this. Hang on a minute. That was my 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 uh, final question. The Jubilee yeah. quiz. Ju oh. It was honestly. I've written it down. There's a script. I could prove it to people. Uh, <laughs> Do you believe Rob yeah. and Ramesh could take over where James Corden left off on late night TV in the US? Oh, I don't know about that. I, the, I'd, the thing about me and Ramesh is, <laughs> as a double act, is, you know, normally double acts always argue about who gets the most stage time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The boat, all we do is trying to get out of it. <laughs> so the VO, when you see the VO list, it's always like, oh, Ramesh has got more then. I'm like, brilliant, and vice versa. So I don't know if we've got, we've got competitive enough for that. Okay, I think or we, ambitious enough for that. I think we got, we got a usable, oh, I don't know at the beginning. We could just chop it there, can we? Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh yeah, I'm not actually, sure. yeah. Yeah, we are. So Calden... Go, wait, get gone. Me and Ramesh should come in. <laughs> he's gone anyway. Good? He's gone anyway. All right, okay. yeah, well, get gone quicker. Right, one, two, Who three. Who else is there? Colbert, you go as well. Go. Sorry, what are we doing? One, singing again. One, two, three. Three, three lines on the shirt. On the shirt. The Jules that's, Ramey, still that's all, that's all That is awful. That that's is really it. bad. We're done. Goodbye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Chris. Cheers, Rob. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Might this thriller writer have a deadly detective descendant to discover? Well, let's find out tonight on his episode of Who Do You Think You Are, which airs at 9pm on BBC One. Some think he's pointless, others say uncommon, but ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Richard Osman! Morning, Rich! Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah. I don't understand Instagram either, Vassos. Good, thank I've never you. quite got the hang of it. No, but you are on it, though. I'm on it, yeah. I need to use it. I need to work out that thing with story. I don't, that's the thing I don't understand. So what? So people go, oh no, but you only look at people's stories, and I don't really know what that is. Uh, so I need to. That's what I need to stories, work out. Even I know this. The stories disappear in 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, if you put something on on your grid, then it stays there forever. But no one looks at the grid, right? That's the thing. No, that's it's not I'm, the thing. Oh. People are addicted to the grid. People okay. only. Some people only do the grid. They're giving up their jobs for the grid. <sighs> okay. Well, listen, I'm sticking with the grid then. They're working I'm, from I'm home gonna, for the I'm grid. I'm just going to leapfrog it and go straight to TikTok. I think. Because <laughs> I'm always going to have to learn about <laughs> that as well. You'd I'm not going to learn about all of them. Uh, when do you post on Instagram? Like, I, like really rarely. I quite like Twitter. So really rarely. Joyce from, from 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 my books has got her own Instagram account, so I, I, I post on that. She's called at Great Joyce sixty nine due to a series of misunderstandings when she sets it up. <laughs> what? Uh, and so hilarious. And so, so so she posts pictures of her dog and 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 stuff like that. Yes, it was the only name that was left when she went through various various things. So that's what she's called, and she gets an awful lot of DMs, and and, and she doesn't know why. Richard Osman stars on your telly tonight, nine pm BBC One in my favourite ever episode of Who Do You Think You Are. Oh. Um, it's awesome. It starts with tears and it ends oh, with tears. I can't um, help myself. Uh, would you like to to begin to unpack what people might be able to enjoy this evening? Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting one. I come from a family that's not. Um, you can't really trace us very far back. I think, like most families in Britain, there's no sort of family crests or, or, or country houses. So I did it for my family because we don't know where any of our descendants are from or what any of them did. Um, and as expected, you sort of you keep going back, and everyone everyone worked hard all their life and ended up in the workhouse, like all of them. 
which is, you know, that's the story of almost all of British social history, and it still happens today when we blame people for for, for poverty. But that's what that's what we went through. And the first started to look at my grandfather, who's a soldier and he's in the police. Now, why and, was he so important to you, and why did you well up at the beginning of the film? Well, because he he was someone who's super bright. My grandfather is no longer with us, and when he was fourteen, passed all his exams to get to grammar school. He's from the back streets of Brighton. Goes into his front room, which his mum and dad says, "Look, I passed the exams," and they said, "But you've got to go and get a job." There's no money here. So that's where his education ended at the age of 14. It's an incredibly common story. And his whole life, he was obsessed with education and getting his daughter's education and getting his grandson's education. Uh, and, yeah, the moment, the, the favourite moment in my life, I think, is when I graduated from Cambridge, I went to Comprehensive, went to Cambridge, and you can invite someone along. And I invited him, uh, and he's there, this kid from Brighton who at 14 was told to give up education he's on the quad in Cambridge and all the sort of gowns and stuff like that and I know that that was his it was his story you know it's not a success for me to go to to do what I did I you know I mucked about but for him that was a huge success so that made me well up uh, doing that and my mum who's she's got a heart of stone she said oh would I lie to you um, would I lie to you <laughs> who do you think you are <laughs> Let's leave, leave she said, out of it, I can't we? believe it when when they cry I'm like oh I'm going to be crying within 15 seconds and I was and I could see her looking at me just going what what's wrong with you but it's very emotional it was lovely for him i mean you know to imagine that he could watch this as well would be uh would, would be a dream well i'd watch it anyway uh if i watch anything that you're you know oh, even close to but you super engage me with uh that that sort of moment straight off the bat really mm. um and you can see this at 9 p.m bbc one it's who do you think you are starring richard osman and his family and then you know within five minutes we we're off to see your mom we're off to see your mom yeah. in the in the 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 residential um, retirement uh, community that inspired yeah. the new career. Yeah, exactly. Inspired, inspired the book. She lives in the real life version of the uh, of, of, of the place in my book where where I've got four cop, uh, you know, amateur detectives in their seventies living in this community. Yeah, and and, it, and and it's where my mum lives and all her friends. And you know now they're all they're sort of they're so showbiz down there now because <laughs> you know everyone wants to live where they live. And Is that were, true? Yeah, they were very secretive <laughs> first. They went, oh no, don't we mustn't tell her. Don't set it where it really is because what if it's successful and we don't really want tourists and now it's successful they're like why didn't you set it where it really is we want tourists we want to be sending they want to be selling mugs and t-shirts um no they love it and they love it because they're the heroes of it as well and they've been incredibly supportive um of it which is lovely and if if, if i'd written the book and i'd gone there and they all went Oh God, I don't know about this. This doesn't. This doesn't seem like us. Then I, I, I'd be a bit churlish. But you know, they've they've all been uh, they've all been a hundred percent behind it. And you know, my mum has become a huge celebrity in her village, which is that's what all old people really. Do. <laughs> they say that we're obsessed with celebrity. Like that that generation are completely. It's the hero's journey, isn't it? You go yeah. back to being a kid and wanting to be the centre of attention again, which is why grandparents and great grandparents get on with the kids so much. Yes, it's exactly that. In, there's, in the there's, 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 there's there's a real kinship, isn't there, of of, of wanting to be the centre of attention. <laughs> So that's where the research really sort of kicks in. Your mum yeah. gets a few old photographs out. Mm. Uh, and what happens next? Um, well, we go and we, 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 we look at my grandfather's story first, which is very important to me. Uh, and uh, I went to... He he gets arrested at age 15. Which for, you didn't know about. Uh, do you know what? I sort of I'd heard stories about how right. he, he got sort of... He, and he gets arrested, he, he rides a bike with no tyres up to St Albans, and this is from Brighton, and gets arrested there. And they take him back to Brighton, and instead of putting him in an institution, someone clearly says, you're, you're joining the army. And we got his sort of sign-up papers where he lies about his age, so he's 15, he joins the army, and then spends his time in the army, and of course that's just before the war, and then suddenly 
he's in the middle of the war. And right at the start of the war, this guy has never completed his education, becomes a teacher. He teaches signalling to public school boys. Exemplary yeah, signalling. Yeah, exemplary signalling, which I bet he was, actually, because he's a, he, he's a, he was a smart lad. So he left school at 14, and suddenly he's at this beautiful place we, we went to, and it's got a really nice vibe. Uh, and he's teaching signalling to people from Eton and Harrow and Winchester. I bet he, I guarantee he gave them hell. I'll know it for an absolute <laughs> fact, because the rest of his life, he, 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 he had nothing to do with, uh, with people like that. But going there... Uh, and come and coming from where I knew we came from, and going to that place, it's really beautiful. It's still there now, and there's football pitches, and there's you know there was proper food, and sitting there. Honestly, I felt such a sense of elation because I knew he must have been so happy there. Because firstly, he's somewhere finally he can eat. There's actually enough food. Secondly, he's getting his education by teaching people, which is really really amazing. And then of course, two years later, he's off to India and the war and all that kind of stuff. And that 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 I don't think was uh, a lot of fun for him. But you know, it, it absolutely made him. You know, like so many, you know, social mobility is a joke in this country. And, you know, often it takes a world war for people to actually get on. And certainly the war is, is what, you know, advances his career. Um, when will we see you again? But why September-ish? Uh, September 15th. Will you come the, and see us? The Bullet the Miss. Oh, my God, of course I will. Oh, I, love, I love it here. You know that. We love having you here. That's Richard Osmond, superstar of tonight's episode, uh, the brand-new episode of the BBC's brilliant Who Do You Think you are and it is absolutely awesome the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio our next guest news show avoidance starts this friday at 9 30 p.m on bbc one and despite its name it's certainly not one to avoid please give a warm welcome to a favorite of the nation it's ramesh ranganathan hello ramesh hello hello hello. how are you today I'm very good. Okay, Okay, Avoidance uh, hits our screens. BBC One. Get hello to that, everyone. BBC One, 9.30pm this Friday. Uh, We've seen it. Uh, You've made it. Uh, Do you want to frame it for us? Uh, Character, you play other characters um, in your orbit. um, What might be unfolding as the first arc? Yes, sure. Uh, So it's about this... I play a guy called Jonathan, who's sort of this conflict avoidant guy who... It's sort of so frustrating to live with is his partner leaves him at the beginning of the or, or asks him to leave at the beginning of the series. And so um, he uh, is sort of has to face up to kind of his ongoing issues that he hasn't done up to that point. And uh, for the sake of his son, they both have a son together. And uh, he ends up kind of, uh, he ends up living with his sister and her wife. And they sort of help, I say help him, they sort of make clear to him what his issues might be that he sort of hasn't confronted up to that point. I mean, it's a comedy. It didn't sound very funny, but <laughs> it's a comedy. That was really dark the way I just described it. But it's cool. Uh, it's... I should finish that by saying, and then yeah. hilarity ensues, guys. Hilarity uh, doesn't you because we've seen. I've watched episode one. Rachel's watched episode one and two. She couldn't get enough of it. Hi, Ramesh. Hi, Rachel. I, do you know what, Rachel? I knew you'd have watched one and two. You just got that about you. <laughs> Thanks, You've got Ramesh. faith, you like nuance, you're a connoisseur. That's what I love about you. Yes, but it instilled a fear into me because in episode two, there is a laser tag incident. And this Sunday, we're taking our middle son to laser tag for his birthday. Have you got any advice for us? Uh, I would say keep quiet as yeah. a parent. You know yeah. I, mean? I, I just sort of think my, my experience of that is to keep your involvement as minimal as possible. Do what you have to do. But I sort of found that any sort of talking out loud can often lead to embarrassment or humiliation for your kid. So try and keep that to a minimum. All right, uh, Ramesh, we're going to do 59 seconds with, but we're going to do it live uh, on on the radio and then we're going to cut it up. We're going to edit it for later. So uh, Rob played this uh, earlier on in the week. Just look at your camera, right? And, um, And look at it somewhat ironically and answer these questions. Are you ready? 
I'm ready, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here we go. Uh, rom, um, your favourite rom-com? My favourite rom-com is uh, The Eternal uh, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Right, bear, in have... bear in mind yeah. this is 59 seconds with, and that answer alone took about 58 Sorry. seconds. Let's do well, it again. I don't even think I've got the title right. So anyway, okay, yeah. um, Rom, your favourite rom-com? Uh, wedding Singer. <laughs> okay, Rom, uh, complete this famous adage. Rom wasn't built in a... Um, uh, morning. Morning. Um, complete the name of this multi-Oscar winning film. Rom with a... Uh, Rom uh, with a view. Correct. Um, uh, you're famous for the Ranganation. If the Ranganation could be accessed by train, you, the people would be arriving at the Ranganation... Station. Correct. If you wanted to go there on a holiday uh, via a train to the Ranganation station, you'd be on a Ranganation... Uh, vacation. Correct. And uh, then if you got there and the economy at the Ranganation wasn't great and the t train fares were immense, uh, as they won't very well be at this time uh, in the world, on the planet, and uh, the you, accommodation was much more expensive than you thought, uh, then um, obviously uh, you, you, interest rates would be up and so you'd be experiencing Ranganation over... Inflation. Correct. Rob or Ramesh? Uh, Rob. Judge Ramesh or Judge Rinder? Judge Rinder. Judge Rinder or Judge Judy? Judge Rinder. Judge or Smudge? Smudge. Smudge or Fudge? Uh, smudge. Okay, wiping a smudge or bearing a grudge? Uh, wiping a smudge. <laughs> Crawley or Hawley? Crawley. Who really is the weakest link? Uh, on occasions, myself. Favourite tattoo? Uh, Richard Pryor. Nice. Snog, marry, avoid. Sorry, I'm now going to give you a choice. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to do my own quiz. Snog, marry, avoid. Rob Beckett, Alex Horn, Freddie Flintoff. Uh, marry, uh, Alex Horn, uh, snog, Freddie Flintoff, avoid Rob Beckett. It's actually quite easy then, that, wasn't it? Yeah, good. Um, what's your brand new sitcom called? Avoidance. Where's it on? Uh, BBC One. When's it on? 9.30 on Friday. Why is it on? Uh, because um, I don't know, BBC have got a certain number of diversity quotas to fill with regards to scripted comedy, uh, and so they agreed that that I'd be one of the ones that they could put on. Describe your show in three words. Uh, conflict avoidant beta. Describe Rob in three words. Uh, funniest bloke around. Describe your career so far in three words. Um, lucky and undeserved. You can't have and as one of the three words. Well, you can. That's a word, isn't it? Oh, oh okay. No, let me no, no, let me do that. Let me do that. Uh, let me do it again. Uh, lucky yet undeserved. <laughs> okay. And uh, have you had enough of this yet? No. I'd, I no, not in the slightest. Okay. And now, if you just bow to camera and say Namaste. Namaste. See, that'll all work. I know that sounds mad, but we haven't got time to record it after the show, so we'll just do it on the show. Uh, excellent. This is good, isn't it? I like this. How did, that, just... how did that write? How did that write as a 59 seconds? Oh, I, I don't know, to be honest. Okay. I, I, I sort of care, but it's all about the edit. So you know yeah, You didn't grade art anyway, so let's not do that. Why would you do that? And also, you know, if you are looking at a Picasso painting, even though you know it's Picasso, there's no evidence of the artist in the painting, although there is evidence that the artist painted it. How about that? No, you're right. You're okay. right. Really uh, Ramesh, anything else you're up to? Yes, loads. What else is going down? Uh, I'm just finishing off my tour. So I've got like six days left of the tour. And um, and then I'm hoping to go to the cinema with my kids this week. That's All right, great. mate. That's great. I know that Rob's also finishing off his tour. His was postponed, uh, if not uh, curtailed, or um, there, was, there was a lag due to COVID. Are you in a similar situation? 
Yeah, it feels like the longest tour of all time. All right. I've been doing it since 2018, I think, or 2019. But yeah, it's been going on a long time. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for being on the show. We love you. Uh, please don't uh, leave it too long. And good luck with everything to do with this brand new um, BBC One sitcom, Avoidance, beginning this Friday. We've seen it. We love it. It's available on BBC One and also the iPlayer. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. You're awesome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Some competitions may pique your interest, but this one is unmissable. Sky VIP are giving you a once-in-a-lifetime chance to dine out with a Formula One world champion and some of the Sky Sports F1 team ahead of the British Grand Prix. Buttoning his shirt and preparing to dine, it's Jensen Button. Good morning, Jensen! Good morning, everyone. <laughs> How are you doing? Very well. Where are you? Have How you signed are... up, Chris? Yeah. No, I'm not signed up, but I should, I should you, sign up. Have you signed up? Yeah. Haven't you done this once already? So is this an ongoing thing? You've, have you had a dinner already? Did, did it? How was it? Do they work? Shall we enter? I've had a dinner, but not with, with special guests yet. Right. But, um, no, it's the Wednesday before the British Grand Prix. So it's a Michelin-style restaurant in London. Yes. Very posh. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it will be... Oh, the, the, the beautiful food will be paired with my whiskey, actually. He'll be making cocktails with my whiskey. Oh, when did you get into the whiskey world? Um, a couple of years ago. I partnered up with a Scottish fella um, who, uh, who knows about whiskey. He's a whiskey expert, expert called, called George Kutsakis. And, um, and we've, we've made a wonderful whiskey. So those people will get to taste it. Okay. With the uh, Michelin star food, so very exciting. Beautiful. So this is in a Michelin star restaurant on the 29th of June. Uh, to enter, what a prize, guys. I mean, come on, to enter this, this is dinner before the British Grand Prix, to enter, go to the MySky app by tomorrow and simply enter your details for a chance to win. Uh, watch all F1 races, of course, live and exclusive. They're only live once on Sky Sports F1. What do you think of the season so far, Jensen? Uh, <laughs> it's been good. <laughs> uh, it's been really good. I mean, I loved last year. You know, what, what we had some much action every race was uh, was great to watch um and this year is no different you know it's nice to see the ferraris up there fighting as well um mercedes almost back there as well so almost a six-way fight so no i've enjoyed it i think it's been a good season and uh, a lot of great races to come yeah so you know uh, obviously lewis has been enjoying this sort of orbit this stratospheric orbit for the last uh, almost decade now and this year not quite so although the mercedes is coming back into contention now you know this better than anybody else you know when when you've been in one mindset as it were you've been existing in one, one mindset as it were and then you know you're forced to sort of um uh, rethink that just because um you know it's nobody's fault particularly it's just the way um the circumstances are, are rolling out differently uh, from one season to the next. You know, when this happened to Jameson, I remember reading about it, you know, when he, he, he felt like he was no longer at his peak for one reason or another, he began to question himself. Um, and it's happened to others, of course. And I've read, you know, in, in various biographies. Um, and the one thing you don't want to be doing in a, the cockpit of an F1 car is questioning yourself. Do you get a sense that that might be happening to, to Lewis or to, in, in fact, other drivers, you know, who've um, enjoyed higher orbit, orbits in the past? Yeah, I, I think the big sh- shift is, though, for, for Lewis, he's, he's driving a car that, isn't competitive uh, in his world. You know, he's been fighting for a world championship since 2014. Um, and his teammates come in, young upstart George Russell, and uh, he's been competitive. And I think because George is driving a car that's actually better than what he's used to, it's given him confidence and he can push it a bit harder, whereas Lewis is, is probably not got so much confidence in the car, so not able to extract the maximum out of it. And of course, when you've had a few bad races, 
it hurts mentally. You know, this is a mental sport. It's, it's not just physical. It's, it's, it's a mental sport. And it's one of the things I always wished I had through my career was somebody to help me through that, those difficult situations. You know, we think we're Formula One drivers. We can handle anything. Um, and it's a weakness to show, you know, that, that you need help. But every driver does. And, um, and I think... Uh, just to help you through those different difficult scenarios, just like any sportsman does. So, no, I think Lewis, as we all know, he's one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world, of driving a Formula One car. Um, and he will be competitive again um, if he wants to be. That's the thing. Um, but maybe he thinks that his, his career is over and he wants to go and do something else. Who knows? But Lewis, I think, if he's got a car that's good enough to win, he will be winning races. Got it. It's interesting what you say there about, again about you know um, perhaps uh, you know need, needing a coach. Everyone needing a coach, regardless of where they sit in life, and it's becoming more and more a thing now, isn't it? It's how, of course, it's massive in America, where a lot of these things seem to begin and thrive. You know, um, mentors. And life coaches, which sound a bit woo-woo and free-free, but they do tend to work because, you know, once you make it to the top, who do you talk to? Um, have, you, have you had experience of a, a similar thing, you know, since, since leaving the cockpit yourself and since, you know, trying to find different avenues in which to enjoy life and experience new things? No, it's true. And I think us as Brits, we, we, we don't think we ever need help. We never ask for help, do we? We think we're, we're good enough as we are. But, um, yeah, you're right. In America, they... They do have more life coaches and what have you. And it's weird for us to think of that. But now I live in the States, you see it more and it does work. So, you know, it's nice to see drivers like Lando Norris, who's obviously very young, is new in the sport and everything should be easy and great. Right. And he comes out and says he's had mental health issues um, and, uh, and he's looked for help. And it's really changed him as a person. And it's helped him as a driver as well. So I don't think we should ever be afraid to, to ask for help. And I think that goes for all of us out there. The last couple of years have been tricky for a lot of people. So. All right, pal. Uh, thanks, Jensen. And the Azerbaijan Grand Prix is back this Sunday from midday. Watch all races live and exclusive on Sky Sports F1. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Breaking news and breaking barriers. This man is never one to let anything get in his way, including breaking news, which will be all over tonight's Piers Morgan Uncensored. Here to talk about the Prime Minister's vote of confidence, it's Talk TV's Piers Morgan. Good morning, Piers. Good morning, Chris. Well, another quiet news day. <laughs> it's been it's been relentless, hasn't it? But it's, I think, in a way, the two events are uh, very linked because I think the key thing for Boris Johnson as to why this has now happened so fast after the Jubilee is what happened at St Paul's Cathedral, you know, where he was loudly booed by Middle England. You know, people that tend to queue up for those kind of royal events tend to be either conservative, certainly you know, the type of people who wouldn't normally boo a prime minister. So I think the fact that he got booed so loudly on television like that, I think may have been the catalyst for what we're now seeing. See, now I didn't know that had happened. This is news to me, Piers. Sorry, I lost you there, Chris. Sorry. So I didn't know that had happened. This is news to me. Yeah, so there were two sets of people who got booed. The, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex got sort of what I would call low-level boo- uh, booing. <laughs> And then Boris Johnson got the full throttle. And it was pretty, you know, I've never seen that. You know, I've seen politicians get booed when they go to sporting events and stuff. But I've never actually seen a British prime minister at a big royal event where you're supposed to be celebrating the royal family, the monarchy, the best of British in a, in a sort of four-day pageant, which was really quite jubilant for the entire period. But to see Boris Johnson and his wife, Carrie Simon, really being loudly booed for a prolonged period of time, 
I thought was almost unprecedented. And I thought then, I wonder how many Tory MPs are back in their constituencies for half term and they're hearing the same kind of thing from their constituents. Yeah, because and... in, the, in, the, in the end, they have to factor these guys yep. uh, and the women, obviously. But the, the Tory MPs, there's 360-odd of them, 50, 359, I think it is at the moment. Um, they have to factor in, can this guy win the next election? Because if he doesn't, they may all lose their jobs. And that's the calculation they make when they put these letters in. All right, mate, uh, just before you go, a four-day Jubilee bank holiday extended weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. What was your highlight? Uh, I actually had the, the honour of I was anchoring it on Thursday and Friday for four hours each day for Fox in America, for Fox and Friends, the big morning show there, which I love because it meant I was at the Palace on the Thursday. And I, to, to me, there were many great moments, but the two absolute highlights for me were the moments when the Queen came on the balcony. Yeah. Because here you've got this longest ever reigning monarch in our country, one of the longest in history anywhere. She's 96. She's had massive mobility issues. We know that she had to pull out a number of the events. But actually, in the end, it didn't matter because what mattered was that she topped and tailed the whole four days by coming on that balcony, beaming that famous smile. And I watched her last night and I found it incredibly moving. I just I thought it was really quite emotional. You know, there she was with the future of the monarchy, with her son and grandson, Charles and William, and their families. And you looked at that scene and you thought, yeah, she's, she's prepared as well. The auditions are going well. I think the monarchy has got a good future, but it will never be the same without the Queen. And I think we all felt that. And we know there won't be another jubilee for her. And it was, I found really emotional last night when she came out and we all sang God Save the Queen. And it was deafening down the mall. And you just saw her slightly bite her lip and looked like she may be about to shed a tear, which she hardly ever does. And I thought, wow, what a, what a moment, what a four days, what a, what a great reign this woman has had. Long may she reign, but I think we know, sadly, that isn't going to be for a lot longer. But we do, I think, at least can look back and say we had a four-day magnificent celebration of her reign and a great chance to say thank you, which is really what we all, I think, were feeling. Yeah, and Chief Meerkat, I know he's listening to this down on the 13th floor. Uh, did you hear that uh, Chief uh, Pierce is willing to put in four hours a shift for Fox, <laughs> but four hours a week for Talk TV? Everything, I, think, I think the key <laughs> phrase, Chris, and you would be familiar to this phrase, is everything's negotiable. Yeah, OK, good. <laughs> well done, Pierce. Thanks so much. Uh, Pierce back on Talk TV tonight from 8 o'clock. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. All right, so we've heard from a bunch of incredible guests already, but still to come, the big cheese of baking. Paul Hollywood is rustling up a storm with his first baking book for ages and his best one by far yet. It's called Bake. Best-selling author Michael Lewis lifts the lid on his brand-new book, The Premonition, A Pandemic Story. And the happy pair twins David and Stephen Flynn whiz through their new veg-tastic book, The Veg Box. Plus, the outstandingly talented Bill Pullman breaks character to discuss treading the boards in The Madhouse at London's Ambassador's Theatre. And Def Leppard's Joliet gives us the lowdown on the band's rocking new album, Diamond Star Halos. Plus, this forthcoming huge worldwide stadium tour where they're co-headlining with Motley Crue. That's not going to be the quietest of nights. So let's get right back to it. Ozzy Jane, who's next? Deep fried calamari sandwiches, Moorish meatballs and tuna tortillas. These are just three of the ridiculously good recipes <laughs> in our next guest cookbook, The Spanish Home Kitchen. Gathering and sharing his homeland favourites, please welcome Jose Pizarro. Yeah, Jose! 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 
<laughs> How are you, my friend? I'm very happy. I'm very, very happy to be here, my friend. As always, lovely to see you. I've got to tell you, uh, the Spanish Home Kitchen by Jose Pizarro. Uh, simple seasonal recipes and memories from my home. I love the stories in the beginning of the book. I love the photographs. I love stories of your mum and dad on the farm. But I, this is the first time I've discovered, via reading these particular pages, that you weren't really allowed in the kitchen when you were Not a kid. Not at all. My mum, she was always helping my dad and uh, in the farm. And uh, the kitchen was for her like the escape. Right. And I have to say, I was a little, little monkey naughty running behind her, <laughs> trying to see what she was doing. And uh, I tried to be a little bit, like you say, naughty. But, and she was running behind me with the slipper, go outside the kitchen. And she <laughs> threw the slipper to me. And um, yeah, just to go away from her. So were you fascinated by the food or you just wondered what the big secrets were? I just wanted to eat. And I just want to make my mum running behind me yeah. <laughs> with a slipper, I think. Yeah, it was all about to learn, I think. Um, all about when you are a kid in a small village, mm. you really want to see what is going on. And uh, the kitchen, my mum, my grandmother, always was something very special. And, and something that stayed with me. It sounds now. very idyllic, your village. I mean, it, you know, is it, because it's obviously still there, is it, does it remain, uh, was it ever as beautiful as you describe it? It's even more, I think. You know. uh, and uh, now, remember, my childhood there was, it's really special. It's really special to, to be able to, to keep those memories, because life is about memories, like the song before, it was in the in the soul, life brings memories. And uh, now when I have a tomato, I have a simple, simple glass of milk, bring me to the farm, bring me to the milk, just from the cow, nice, warm flavor. It's all about that. And yeah, my, my village is stunning. And the most important thing, beautiful people there. Yeah. I mean, somebody said to me yesterday that enjoyment is experience plus the memory. That's what it is in the end. Mm. You know, it's the two together. Yeah. And it's all about creating memories. Today, for me, it's going to be a memory forever, you know, to be here with you guys, oh. enjoying some of my food. Always will stay with me. And it's the important thing about the book, no? I want people to create memories. Great memories when you are cooking some recipes from here and you bring your friends, your family. <laughs> that canelon or that tortilla or that croquetas, that will be always with us. <laughs> it's so and funny. it's all about that. I know. Tell me about your dad. And, and My, he, could, he could spot when to pick something just from sight alone. And you'd go to pick it as a small boy and he'd yeah. say, not today, Jose, that's for tomorrow. That's for tomorrow. And just eat it from, you know, like it should be perfectly just ready, ready to eat. And my dad is no longer with us, but um, he always teach me how just to looking something is ready to eat. Yeah. And be, because before the fridges, yeah, we have fridge in my village, of course, but nothing better than to take something from the vegetable garden, watch in the spring water, and take home. All right. Now, yeah, you guys can't see this, so I'm going to hold the page up. Page 35. Look at this. Cherry gazpacho. <laughs> Check that out. I mean, can't, have you ever seen anything in a bowl like that before? That's awesome. Wonderful. It's um, unlucky. In my region in Spain, we have uh, plenty of beautiful cherries. And um, we just, it's, it's just amazing with ice and it, eat like that. But it's more than that. It's more than that because the flavor develops. And in a gazpacho, it's just absolutely stunning. Good olive oil, few cherries, like we say, some basil, some bread. 
Happy days. Yeah, happy days. <laughs> and also, cherries are one thing we do get we do get right here in the UK. Cherries at the moment are, are amazing because they're really hard on the outside. They explode on the inside. So th- that's a good one for us right now, isn't it? Totally, definitely. And like we say, very simple, few ingredients that you can get anywhere. And just be happy. Make memories with your friends. Okay, so you've been here for 22 years. 24. Okay. Long time now. Over 20 years. Um, how come you came here and what was your first day here like? I came to Gagwick. I never was uh, before in the UK. And a friend of mine, she was waiting for me. And just saw the people around me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I want to stay here. I don't know why. <laughs> But what, what was Victoria, your intention? Sorry, what was your intention coming here? My intention was, like everyone say, to learn a little bit of English. Right. Then still a lot to learn. Tha, 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 tha. You know my accent, as you know. It's beautiful. Ah, uh, no, thank you, my love. But I just want to learn a little bit more. The food in Spain at that time was not as diverse as was here in the UK. Right. In Madrid, even was not. Chinese, maybe one Chinese. Yeah, you talk about vegetarianism as well. Yeah. Hardly, and, um, hardly heard of. Yeah. It was so much things going on here than than was nothing in Spain really. So so you came for a what a six month six. So you came for six months initially yeah. to learn mostly English and maybe get a job somewhere as well. Or it was difficult for me. I was when I left Madrid. I was HS in one Michelin star. Nothing to. But I mean, that I knew about cooking. I think, but it was so difficult for me to get a job because I didn't speak any English at all. For me, it was like um, I'm looking for a job. People was like, mm. and some people say, okay, come, your your CV is amazing, but in a kitchen it was difficult to to cook with my with my English. So your first job, where was it? In a Spanish restaurant in Gaudi. Yeah, and uh, was uh, was lovely place, and then I moved to Air Brothers, Air Brothers for two years, and then Brindisa, just around the corner here, Man, was like sixteen years ago, and I opened Jose. Here in Bermondsey, 11 years ago now. 11 years ago. Wow. Yeah. It's doing it's great, been, man. And how's, the, how's the pub doing? pub is doing great. Yeah. Give, give it a shout amazing. out. Come on, where is it? What's it's called? in Isha. Yeah. And uh, it's a lovely pub, lovely beer garden, lovely food, barbecue there, green egg. Uh, yes. It's just lovely to be able to be there and cook. The Spanish Home Kitchen, Jose Bizarro. Simple seasonal recipes and memories from my home. Cheers, Jose. <laughs> Love you guys. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. This great British bake-off judge has got the most sought-after handshake on television. (laughs) Fresh out of the oven is his brand new book, Bake, which does exactly what it says on the cake tin. Please welcome today's showstopper, Paul Hollywood. (gasps) All right, Paul. (laughs) Hello. How are you doing? You're right. Very well, pal. How are you? I'm all right, actually. Yeah, the weather's a bit miserable, but I'm happy enough. The weather's miserable, but, you know, uh, the afterglow of the wonder of the weekend. How was the Jubilee for you. Oh, it was great. Actually. I was just watching it on the telly. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 for me, the standout thing was Paddington Bear and the Queen. You've that wa- got me crying. You've it was watched terrible. It, you've watched it more than anybody else on the planet, haven't you? Uh, what? You've rewatched it so many times. I, eight times. I Can't watched get that Paddington. Of it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Just the reaction of the Queen. It's her eye line. The whole thing is so professionally done, mm. and it's her reaction to it. Amazing woman. It would have been great if you'd have stepped in and tested her marmalade sandwich. (laughs) 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 Um, Your book is brilliant, Paul. Paul Hollywood. It's his. It's beautiful. It makes you want to have a go. And you know, not all books do that, but this this is right up there with the best of them. So um, there is a whole section on bread. If you were preparing some bread for a marmalade sandwich for the Queen slash Paddington, let's face it, they're both royalty in their own right. (laughs) Which bread would you go for? Seeded would work really well on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Again. 
Paddington, you want that high fibre in there. And in fact, if you look at Paddington, he brings out that uh, almost seeded looking bread. I thought, that's the one. Is that that's what you thought? One. I think he took it from the book. Was that the baker's, the baker's initial um, thought? All right. Yeah, so biscuits, absolutely. cookies, breaks and flat, uh, breads and flatbreads, pizzas and donuts, pastries and pies, desserts and cakes. I mean, you know, I, I, love, I love a brown buffet. Yeah. You know, a brown food buffet. Well, like pies and puds. Just, I just love it, man. You know, I'm a northerner. I mean, that's yeah. where we are, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. Cheese and onion pasty, that's a nice recipe, isn't it? I want to have a Again, go Again, it reminds me, back in the day, we had bakeries. I mean, I know there's that <laughs> eggs uh, around, which produced pasties. But I remember back in the day, there were bakeries near me that were producing cheese and onion pasties, which were delicious. Yeah. And a warm one with a crispy, buttery, flaky yeah. pastry yeah. is delicious. Warm, that's right. Not too hot, no, not no, cold. No. No, warm. No, no. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, I like I like cold sausage rolls. I don't like warm sausage rolls. Do you know what I mean? I don't like soggy, yeah, soggy pastry in a sausage roll. We, it has to be crispy. We were talking about Cartmel, the post office at Cartmel. Um, yeah. You know where the sticky toffee pudding was invented. Yeah, and they do uh, they do hot pork pies, but they're not reheated. They are hot from the oven, yeah. and that's the only way to have them. And when the gelatine spills out onto you. <laughs> Like some kind of sort of pork pie eruption. Yeah, it's the same because what you've got to do, ideally when it comes out of the oven, your gelatin goes in, you need to leave that to set overnight. And so the whole thing is traditionally overnight because when you bite into it, it shouldn't pour down your butt. I know, I know. It would taste good though, I must admit. Oh yeah. my God. If you had to sort of, if you had to just sort of pin your colours to one mast yeah. um, via a single um, uh, chapter of your book, what, which would you go for? Cakes, biscuits, cookies? Pizzas and donuts. Would you honestly? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> It's a whole meal. You've got, you've got, you've got pizza. I've got a lovely pizza oven in the um, in the garden, and I, if friends come round, I have to make proper pizza. Yeah, only in the oven for about a minute and ten seconds. Right, beautiful, simple topping. Sometimes just garlic and mozzarella, and it obviously you, you brush the garlic butter on when it comes out the oven, and it is stunning, absolutely stunning. This makes me so hungry. This book. Um, I'm, I'm on 16 as well, so I don't eat till midday. So I am now peak starving, right? And <laughs> um, looking at the Quattro Farmaggi pizza, oh, yeah, the um, Formaggio, yeah. which is great. You yeah. know, I love it. The old Four Seasons, it's yeah. it's fantastic. The more rustic a pizza looks, usually the better it tastes. Yeah, uh, for me, it's all about the base, right? And the way I went, to, I met this guy called Enzo in Naples, who was an amazing guy, and it, he'd won World's Best Pizza Guy in ever, wherever. <laughs> And I was called the Pizziola, and a Pizziola is basically a trainee pizza chef. Right. So I went down, met the guy in his ba- in his in his pizzeria bakery, and he was saying, "When you make pizza, you've got to use water from the local area because of all the nutrients in from the volcanoes." And River Mersey. Right. And I'm going. Hmm. And then he says, "When you make the dough, you've got to stir it anti-clockwise because of the reaction with the magnetism." Of the- I'm going. He's winding me up here. And so we did everything that he was meant to do. And to be honest, his pizzas were amazing. But the way he teaches and his passion yeah. and every single ingredient from the flour to where it's ground to the to the type of flour, to the water, to the temperature. And But at the end of it, you, you have a pizza that you cut a slice, fold up the ends, mm. and then you lift it off a plate. Now, the first half should be pretty solid. Yeah. Then the last, the last half, the very last quarter of that half yeah. should bend. Yeah. If the whole thing bends from half, it's not quite there. Teardrop-like, almost. Yeah, yeah. Or like it's melting, it's too close to a flame, and the rest yeah. of it's safe. If you lift it up, fold it, and the whole thing collapses, yeah. it's not baked enough, it's not crispy enough. If it's enough. too stiff, it's too dry. Yeah, yeah. then you're not going to get that flavour. How about I dream this? What, what is, where does semolina feature in, in pizza dough? 
Well, it, normally it's a it's fine flour, right? So that goes in. Right. And sometimes, if you get the slightly coarser stuff and you're rolling your dough out with semolina, it, it rises it slightly off the base to stop it sticking. So I haven't imagined that. That's no, a thing. no, no. It's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> all right. Um, so various members of the team they're all after the Hollywood handshake. And Vass was trying to sneak one, and he's pathetic, isn't he, Paul? He texted me yesterday. Yeah. He texts me. I know. Literally about six times. It's cheating. It's like being a mastermind and then finding out who set the questions and saying, oh, right, how are you doing? Um, need anything from the shop? <laughs> what did you, what were you asking Paul yesterday? I just did, I just did, what I wanted, Paul, was I wanted to present to you from your book. No, what you wanted to win. Yeah. That's what you wanted. That, that, that. I was asking about the biscuits, how, how flat, because I know they flatten out in the oven, don't they? Mm. So how flat should mm. they be before they go in the oven? Just a gentle did I over? Did I over squish uh, the oat No, biscuit? it's okay because an oat biscuit essentially is good with cheese, so you want it slightly crispy. You don't want it too cookie-like because basically butter bends and sugar snaps in a biscuit or a cookie. Oh, and that's good. generally how it works. Butter bends, sugar snaps, which is why cookies get softer or harder. and They will get softer. softer. In fact, so will biscuits. Bickies sometimes get softer, though. Yeah, but you know that whole thing about uh, the Jaffa cake, you know, is it a cake? Is it a cake a or is it a biscuit? Yeah, I mean... Come on. Uh, You're the man. Oh, this is it. This is the meaning of life on Virgin Radio. Paul Hollywood's going to tell us, is it Java cake, a cake, yeah, or a this biscuit? Is all va- this is all to do with VAT. This is to do with a company that, if you call it a biscuit, it's vatable. If it's no. Not, yeah, yeah that's, that's, yeah, that's the reason. So it's not the fat content, it's the VAT content. It's the VAT content, absolutely. Sophia, you're going to chime in there with something? I just don't think that Vassos can take part in a bake-off if you're going to ask questions beforehand and tips. Literally, it was all day. I, I was, I was, I'm I was so, busy. I'm sorry, Paul, that you've had to part with that. I'm so sorry. That is pathetic. He'd tell me what he was doing. But not and surprising. I, <laughs> I nearly sent you photos. Yeah, but also, Paul, when you came in today, he goes for the handshake straight away, doesn't he? Did, he did, yeah. I'm I so glad you, you swerved it. Yeah. More than swerved, like, no, you didn't get one of those, pal. Paul, it is a joy to see you. You look very well. You look very happy. Yeah, thank you. No, I've, um, things are good. Things are really good at the moment. Right, yeah, mate. thank you. Okay, well, Thanks, have a guys. great rest of the year. Well done with the book. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Looking for an evil mastermind, a Hollywood hunk, or even someone willing to be in a movie with Anton Deck? Well, he's your man. Gracing the West End and the world premiere of Madhouse at the Ambassador's Theatre. Oh, he really is a good un. Bravo, bravo, it's Bill Bowman! <laughs> How about that? Nice, Jack. Come oh, on. Oh, my God, I'm feeling... T- <laughs> Just spiky. Spiky yeah. and spiky and spicy and nicey. Uh, Bill, uh, let's just speak to the Anton Deck reference there for a moment. For people who don't know, your work with Anton Deck, your, your oeuvre with Anton Deck. Oh, what a privilege, you know. And I, I, of course, I was a little bit uh, oblivious, you know, to the scale of Anton Deck's fans. And, uh, but I uh, arrived in, in London to do a movie with them. And... Uh, I got picked up by the car guy. I always think of this because, you know, I say, wow, I'm doing this thing with Ant and Deck. And he just lit up. He was about 75 or something. And he said, Ant and Deck. Everyone loves him from 8 to 80. It's true. I heard that so many times. Everybody said, from 8 to 80. Yeah. They like like those boys. It's going to be a long day if you try and find out a single person in the UK who doesn't love Anton Deck. Yeah. How was the movie? Because it was their first foray into the world of movies. I haven't seen it, by the way. Uh, Not as many (laughs) as we'd like, Chris, have seen this movie, but uh, it was, I think it's an intriguing movie based on a true story. 
and uh, they're very good in it. And they did a little part of shooting in the States, and they came to the house. To your house? Yeah. They stayed a, with you? Yeah. The well, con- they didn't stay with uh, you know, I'm sure they had some nice accommodations, but they came over, we had a barbecue, and so, and I'm looking forward to seeing them. They'll come see this play. Now, you say house, do you mean ranch? Well, in Los Angeles, we have a house. Uh, we have the ranch in Montana. We're working on them to get up there. But, wow. Uh, yeah. So uh, you and Shakespeare back in Montana, how was the Shakespeare scene? Well, you know, it was such a wild way to experience Montana. We would tour around. Some of the towns are so small that they didn't have hotels, so we'd have homestays and, you know, you meet ranchers and American Indians and, you know, you're playing for all kinds of people that come from miles away. And it was really informative to me. You know, we cut the place to like an hour and a half and uh, 12, you know, nine to 12 actors would tour. So, you know, so it was really in the trenches it of theater. So but, much. It sounds a load of fun. Yeah, outdoors. I mean, you oh, know, I loved it. Yeah. Really, every every moment, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this could be more different in a way because um, it's it's uh, static. We're in the West End, uh, and it's a brand new play. Okay, so th- this, I, I, you know, we've never heard Henry Taylor of it. Um, what we could say about it, I suppose, Bill Pullman, is because it's never been performed publicly anywhere in the world until next week, until you do it at London's Ambassador's Theatre with your gang. It's called Mad house and uh, it starts next wednesday wednesday 15th of june one could say you can't mess it up or at least if you did people would know because they've never seen it before yes right they haven't come in with is there some useful logic in there somewhere? yeah well you know it's also you know we just have no idea whether how it's going to fly you know which is great three years ago i was in london for the doing all my sons at the old vic and that's the opposite and uh, you know it's a play that i people know and they have expectations you're looking to reinvent it you find new energy and this thing is you know maybe it'll have a flat tire maybe the tires aren't good maybe the, we'll see you know when we'll work at it all through previews you know trying to get it up and wow. going. but i think it's a really great play because you don't know until you know yeah, you, you don't know until the audience yeah, come think, in. You feel like you're it's crazy, the isn't big it? Thing, but, it's so yeah. crazy, man. Yeah, it's uh, what a business nervous. you're in. But I really think it's a good cast. You know, we have David Harbour, who's in this amazingly successful Stranger Things. I, you know, kind of was not on the curve with that. Big and I deal. got here. Oh, Mr. Harbour, can we have a picture of Mr. <laughs> Harbour? I'm, I'm Bill Pullman. Uh, what about that? But I, there's Anton Deck. There's, there's him. A, yeah, don't they? <laughs> right. What's wrong with these Brits? For heaven's sake. Haven't they seen Independence Day? Let's have a bit of Independence Day here. The 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. Yeah, come on. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Come on now! Oh my God. What about that? They are. Okay. I... <laughs> so just hearing it as opposed to hearing it and seeing it, which I bet doesn't happen very often. How does that no, feel? it doesn't happen very often, yeah. It's a lot more images come to mind about where I was when I first saw the footage in my trailer. You know, that they brought... they. There was, uh, you know, they brought a clip we were shooting at night. A couple of days later, they had edited this speech together and showed it to me in my trailer. I was thinking about 
that's the kind of images when you just hear it. It's quite nice. It's nice, yeah. isn't it? I love yeah. it. Uh, you know, and there are successful movies, there are blockbusters, and then there's movies like Independence Day. What's it like to be part of such a huge, huge film? Wow, it's a, yeah, very... Uh, 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 I'm I'm reminded of it. I'm speaking about my son a lot, but he he's in Top Gun too. So he just had the opening of that movie, and that for him is like his Independence Day. I didn't I think, know that. Yeah, he doesn't have the center part of it. Of course, we know Mr. Cruz does. Yeah. but uh, he's got a very good part, and uh, you know you'll recognize, you'll see him, and everything. He's one of the fly boys. He's brilliant. So. He's Bob. Is you he know, the, Bob? The sort of, like, quiet but super intelligent yeah, guy. What's your call sign? What's your call sign, Bob? Bob. <laughs> so good, man. Okay, back to your play. Okay, Madhouse, what's it about? What can we expect? Well, it's, you know, a dysfunctional family story, which the theatre seems to get, you know, it's a formula that you can have endless variations on. But in this one, I, for the, I get to experience what it is to circle the drain, Chris. I've got emphysema, and I'm struggling with it and I can smell the three siblings are coming uh, the kids are coming around looking for the money really yeah and uh, the David plays David Harper plays the son who has kind of got roped into taking being a caregiver of course I have a temperament problem I'm angry destructive um, malicious fearless fearless yeah yeah. Quality's good for a president, but in this case, he's a guy that's but what, really a, what I mean, what a role to have fun with, seriously. Yeah. Because you're not quite in your death throes, but you, you've, sort of, you've sort of thrown off the shackles of, of, of not saying what you think, if you like. It's, it's a bit Larry David, isn't it? Yeah, that's very... How do you know this? You haven't seen the play, Chris. It's just so good. You're intuiting this. Uh, yeah, there is a little bit... I bet bit it's of, hilarious, isn't it's it? It's so... It, the writing's so good. You know, you read a lot... You know, I'm reading scripts all the time for TV, and film and things and you but you get a play where the dialogue is tasty you know and you just tasty do it. Uh, uh, Bill we might not be able to come back to you but we'll try um, uh, thanks for coming in thank you for it's having great me. to see you Bill Pullman is in the madhouse if he's, if, if he's in it it's pretty much nailed on to be awesome but it sounds awesome yeah the more awesome uh, the more you talk about it ATG tickets at the London Ambassadors Theatre from Wednesday uh, next Wednesday 15th of June Bill thank you so much man thank you thank you thank you, thank you the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio his best-selling books have been turned into Hollywood films starring Brad Pitt Ryan Gosling and Sandra Bullock and his latest work is being turned into one too it's called The Premonition a pandemic story and is out now with a science story at its truest please welcome michael lewis hi michael welcome back it's a it's a i didn't think you'd have me back of course we'll have you back you were a joy last time uh, and the book this time again is amazing just uh reflect if you don't mind on the air what you're talking about off the air to do with snow patrol just now well so the last time i was here the first time i was here was right before the pandemic right it was december of 2019 who knew and snow patrol was in the corner over here Mm -hmm. jammed in prepared for a super spreader event and, and and they played chasing cars and i'd never heard of them or it i write my books to a, a soundtrack I, I just scroll the same songs over and over and it just kind of shuts the world out and i liked it so much i thought i could write to that yeah so i put it on the soundtrack and i wrote this book to that song 
Which is so ironic for so many reasons. I can't believe it's two and a half years since you were last here. And this book is amazing. Michael Lewis, The Premonition. I started reading it last night and then I did what I have to do because um, life is so busy. I was timing my chapters, how long it was taking me to read each page. And I thought, if I carry on reading this, I'll be late for bed. But I did it anyhow. So I, I got to the end. It's just amazing, this book. So um, it's about a magnificent seven of scientists, uh, six blokes and one woman. Uh, let's talk about the woman first of all. She received this phone call uh, in the pandemic. Um, this is from somebody at the White House, but it was a covert call from somebody at the White House. She says, he wasn't pleading with me to do the right thing. He was yelling at me. He was basically implying that the White House is not going to do the right thing. The White House not going to protect the country. So California needs to take the lead. That was the moment she learned that the White House was listening to all the calls, in on all the calls, and also the moment when she realised how lost and desperate the people at the top were. He's the Deputy Director of Homeland Security. He can just go talk to the President and he's relying on some random blonde girl to save the country. Who is the random blonde girl? Charity Dean, one of 3,000 local public health officers whose job it was before the pandemic to prevent people from giving disease to other people. And you, you don't you didn't pay much attention to that, did you, before the pandemic? But it existed. You know, it was tuberculosis. It was, whatever, uh, you know, HIV, whatever it was. So she was a battlefield command type person in disease control in the state of California. And she realized how much trouble we were in, in the United States when the White House was saying, we're not going to we're not going to do anything to lead this. You need to find a way to lead it in California and set an example for the rest of the country. And the 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 sort of uh, the turbulence, the ever going turbulence that public health officers have to live through is that they never get credit for anything that they do right. And they always get the blame for things that they don't do so well. You kind of put your finger on the problem. I mean, in, to back away from the problem, it was a catastrophic response we had in our country. And I think you kind of had a similarly catastrophic response. We had all the resources in the world to deal with this thing. We have 4% of the world's population and 20% of the world's deaths. How did, how did that happen was the question. And the answer did reside in the life experience of these people who were kind of nobodies. It, before the pandemic, these these people who were expert in trying to stop people from sickening other people, they were under-resourced. You know, the latest technology her office had been given had been this fax machine. Uh, that underpaid. Under-recognized. Under-recognized. So they had no, they had some legal authority, but they had no social power. So they had no ability to stand up and to kind of tell people have people listen to them yeah and they had all the facts they had all the stats they had all the research and so what they ended up doing is they said we can't reason people out of this we're going to have to feel them out of this so they appealed to the emotions of, of various committee members well, the States. that's true but your point your point about how you know if they stop people from being from getting ill nobody notices yeah it, it's it, so they and they get they get no credit for that and anything they do that disrupts people's lives causes controversy so you had to have people who were willing to lead and cause some controversy to save lives. And th that just didn't really happen in our country. And she was, what was wonderful about her as a character, she is going to be a movie star. I mean, she, that, this, that this person who was marginalized by the society and doing something so important, once you actually put a camera on her or, or a, a, put a pen to her, she, she jumps off the page. I mean, I, she might be the best character I've ever had in my, in my really in my career, and 
and and two years from now when the movie comes out, everyone's going to say, why why didn't we know who she was uh, when we needed her kind of thing. And what, what's lovely is you give each character, and by the way, this is not a novel, this is real, um, you, you give each character a, a backstory and you explain uh, why they are who they are, where they came from, and how come they've all chosen vocation over occupation. All, they've all been drawn to this very particular problem of pandemic preventing pandemics. And, you know, who knew they were out there, but they were out there. Thank God. And uh, in, in her case, uh, she grows up in an evangelical Christian com rural community in America where the girls are raised just to breed children, and they're told not to get an education. She, she hears about the plague in the church when she's a little girl and becomes obsessed with communicable disease and says, no, I'm going to go get a medical degree, and I'm going to get a degree in public health, and I'm going to stop people from dying. Tell us about Carter. Carter Mesher. A simple doctor um, who, the take, who, who is pulled into the George Bush White House when George Bush hears we don't have a pandemic strategy in the United States. And this is after George Bush reads a book. Well, does that shock you? It did, actually. Yeah, it really did. I thought, oh, here we go. And he had a conscience and he wanted to do something good. We have to remember that George Bush, in his presidency, had been traumatized by surprising catastrophe. Right. 9-11 Hurricane Katrina destroying my hometown of New Orleans, and someone hands him this book about the 1918 pandemic, and he goes, "It's not. It's diabolical." They did it. He went and read it on his holiday, and came back sheet white, and said, "What's our strategy for this? 20 million people died," and he was told, "We don't have one." And Carter Mesher was the answer to the question of how do we get one. They brought in a group of people from weird parts of the government. And two doctors, Carter Mesher and Richard Hatchett, were assigned the problem. And it's the problem we've all, we all kind of live with, and, and it was a grading problem, is what you do between the time that a pandemic starts and the time you have a vaccine. Like, what do you do to prevent disease and death? And they create a plan. They sort of reincarnate social distancing, which it had been discredited, and teach the public health sector that this is actually the way we're going to go. Got it, Michael. Uh, we're out of time, but we're not out of inspiration uh, to read this book. Michael Lewis, uh, The Premonition, uh, Pandemic Story. Brilliant spellbinding. Lewis is so good. Here, here, uh, says the New York Times. But I'm backing that straight up. Great to see you again, man. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you are the best. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. These Sheffield rockers have just poured their energy into and their sugar onto their 12th album, Diamond Star Halos, which is out now. And the latest single kick is a real treat. Making sure our morning is well and truly rocked, it's Def Leppard's Joe Elliott. Good morning, Joe! Morning, Chris. How are you? <laughs> Very well. How are you over there in Dublin? Uh, I'm actually in County Limerick. I've took a, we're, 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 I've got a, this 12-day break before we start, so... Yeah, we took a road trip, and I'm stuck in Limerick at the moment. Oh. Ready, ready to dance out in the middle of the beautiful Irish countryside. I was going to say, there's worse places to be stuck. All right, so we have a brand new, we have a brand new, everybody listen to this, a brand new Def Leppard album, Diamond Star Halos, uh, first since 2015, uh, recorded in five, uh, sorry, three countries, uh, maybe even three continents. Uh, which had the most magic about it? Was it the US? Um, was it uh, Ireland? Uh, where else did you record it? Um, England, of course. England. Yeah. yeah. Sheffield, Dublin, uh, East Coast of America, nice. West Coast. Good. America. For me, it was Dublin because I got to be at home all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. Um, why, wow. why do you take the recording of an album, you know, as far and wide as that? I mean, that's almost 10,000 miles. Well, we had no choice because we were going to get together to 
to um, record some music, not necessarily make a record, right. as we were due out on tour in June of 2020. So we're going to get together in April and, uh, well, end of March, early April, and just see what we had. But the day that everybody was due to fly, fly out of Dublin to my studio, lockdown. So quick phone call, what shall we do, what shall we do? And we decided we'd, we'd go remote. And we've done it before, we've dabbled, but we've never done it 100%. But this particular record, we did it 100%. We, uh, we sent stuff to each other and glued it together. Right, good. Did you learn anything via the process? Yeah, never go back to recording the traditional way ever again. Honestly. Seriously, we had the best fun we've ever had. Everybody was at home twiddling thumbs or renovating their own homes instead of helping me renovate mine. <laughs> it was uh, it was really cool because that that space away from it ourselves physically actually added to the the kind of artistic environment of it all and it widened our horizons from a songwriting point of view. And hence we've got Mike Garson on two tracks, who used to play with Bowie. And we've got Alison Krauss on two tracks. Wow. The, you know, the, the bluegrass chanteuse, who's an amazing singer. And then some, you know, some classic, obvious Def Leppard type stuff as well. We just had great fun doing it. See, this is what the government got to listen to. You know, uh, they, they can sort of hear what they want, but they've got to listen to the fact that even Def Leppard are working from home. Absolutely. And by, you know, we were forced into it. And then we realised what a great experience this is. Because, you know, we tour so much, so we normally only get home. And for me and Sab, who live in Ireland and England, we kind of tend to finish touring in, in like, October, November. And then we're just stuck in the winter all the time at home. Yeah, Never yeah. see the garden in bloom. I got to see things that I didn't know I had. And I've lived in that house for 30 years. Yeah, you know? no, it's so cool. It was, it was uh, so cool. Joe, uh, you know, you're experiencing and talking about something or speaking to something that every, lots of people have experienced for the first time, forced into change and then embracing it and realising the growth within. So, listen, you're only 11 days off this massive tour uh, starting in Atlanta. You're co-headlining uh, with Motley Crue, joined by special guests Poison and Joan Jett. Uh, tickets available at DefLeopard.com. Tell us about that. Tell us about co-headlining. How does it work? Work. Do you know? Do you headline one night and give Motley yeah, Crue the other night? How does it work? We, we fight each other. For this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it's you know it, these things are all sorted out by the grown-ups. You know they they put these ideas towards us and we agree to them. We've done this loads of times in the past. Done it with Brian Adams. Done it with Kiss. I've done it with Journey. And um, it's one and one makes three. And essentially, what we're doing, especially having Poison, Georgia, and there is actually a fifth artist as well. Because as it happens, Joan Jett's management sensibly said, we want people to know that this already started, so there's a band goes on before Joan, to get everybody in out of the car park because they'll hear them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're taking a festival on the road, and um, you'll be happy to know, uh, hopefully you'll be happy to know, that we're actually bringing it to the UK next year. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to go worldwide, this thing. It's going to be huge. So same lineup, yeah? Hey, yeah. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. We, we literally flip-flop. You know, we gave them LA because it's their hometown and we get other areas that are more meaningful to us. So it all works out. It well. works out. Give us a minute on Diamond Star Halos because uh, 15 tracks, uh, it's awesome. You're really happy with it. And what, you did, what you've done is you've looked at who you are and you've written about that, not about what might have been or what once was. Yeah, we totally, we, you, you know, we just embraced songwriting and so I wrote a couple of songs on the piano, which would never have happened if we had five alpha males in the one room. The guys would be going, OK, let's just transpose that piano part into a guitar. But once everybody heard my finished demo with it all on, they all went, oh, we could do that. This, this is what happened. It opened us up. You know, we made sure that within the first two hours of discussing, let's do the album remotely. One of the first things we all said was like, this has to be a COVID-free album. 
We didn't want people to put this on in the year 2024 and be reminded of all the crap times that they've just gone through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted to make an album that's going to sound great in the year 2034, the way Rumours did 10 years after it came out, the way Hotel California did 10 years after it came out, or Led Zeppelin 4, or whatever it is, you know. We wanted to make a timeless record with great songs about whatever subject matters. Some of it is dark, some of it is lighthearted. I mean, you know, you can't take a song like Give Me a Kiss That Rocks Too Seriously, but at the same time, you've got Goodbye For Good This Time or Open Your Eyes, which are a bit more, you know, lyrically something to get your, your teeth into. So it's a bit of everything. You know, our blueprint has always been Queen. They're just the most amazing band. And when you think that, you know, Fred wrote Bo Rap and Brian wrote We Will Rock You, which we just saw, like, you know, all over the Jubilee show and stuff. And Roger wrote Radio Gaga and Brian and uh, John Deacon wrote Another One Bites the Dust. All vastly different people, vastly different songs, all under the guise of Queen. And it works brilliantly. And that's more where this album's coming from, from a from a headspace point of view. Joe, it's a pleasure to talk to you. You sound like you're on top form. It's so nice to hear you. Uh, good luck with the tour. 11 days and counting. Kicking off 36 stadium dates in Atlanta. Uh, this has been Joe Elliott live from Ireland. For everything Def Leppard, go to defleppard.com. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Right, Ginger Jack, give him the full treatment. Fancy a health kick or bored of the burgers? Well, DJ, hit that beat. Root. Yes, there is no need to get takeaway in a box tonight when their brand new book, The Veg Box, is out today. I don't know who's who, but maybe you do do. It's David and Stephen Flint, the happy yeah, beer Yeah, good morning. <laughs> By the way. What an intro. OK, um, this show has just got nuclear. I mean, we are too much for people to bear uh, on frequent occasions, but this is going to be uh, plus plus from now on uh, till 10 o'clock. So the happy pair here, David and Stephen, this new book, the Happy Pear, The Veg Box, 10 Vegetables, 10 Ways, Cracking Book, uh, Great Few Opening Chapters, Origin Stories, in case you don't know about uh, David and Steve. How did you two meet? <laughs> we, 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 we were womb mates. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. I know. That was bad. Okay, who came out first, David? That Stephen? one, Steve did. Yeah. Steve's 15 So, for anyone listening, we're identical twins. We're actually mirror twins. So, it's when the egg separates really towards the end. I guess the extreme example is when you become Siamese twins. Right. But where I'm left left-handed, I'm left-footed, he's right-handed, he's right-footed. Right, cool. I'm right-brain, he's left-brain. Because there's that phrase, Irish twins. But um, You are Irish twins, but you're not those kind of Irish twins. No, Irish twins are usually brothers and sisters that are just slightly... 11 months apart. 11 months apart within the same calendar year. All right. See, I thought the Irish twins was um, one born on one day, but just before midnight, one born on the other day, just after midnight. No, 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 it's within 12 months. What what kind of twins are they then? Special uh, twins. Special twins. You've got separate Magic. birthdays. Lucky twins. Yeah. Uh, you you were almost my wife's favourite twins. Bearing in mind we have twins, right? <laughs> and her sisters are twins. But you come in. You come in. You know, hot hot third. A sizzling hot third. Great. Hey, Honoured. Uh, this book is awesome. And um, one of my favourite uh, sections in the book is straight off the bat. It's about. It's the super hacks on. Uh, you know uh, what you can do in your life to make everything better straight away. Take a shelfie as opposed to a selfie. Talk us through that. That's a good one. That's about food waste so 30% of the food that people buy is wasted and we went through kind of helping people to waste less number one take a shelfie before you go shopping so actually take a photo of your fridge of your presses number two don't go shopping hungry because when you're hungry you buy all the snacks number three have a plan because otherwise you're stockpiling you're like a squirrel 
And then number four, like you can freeze things, you can pickle things. There's so many different aspects, but wasting food, that's what we did with this book. We just really tried to help make it easy. And even even back to, we were chatting on the way in here, that uh, that courgette of shame. Most people can relate to that. You, you only want one courgette, you buy three of them and, and there's two of them left in the fridge. And every time you open the fridge, it's talking, just going, use me, use me. And you're wondering what to do with it. And that's why we wrote this book. Instead of the chapters being breakfast, lunch and dinner, they're by vegetable. So the chapter on courgettes and in there we've got courgette fritters we've got like a lovely courgette and lime curd cake there's you know there's delicious kind of recipes and the idea is uh 10 yeah. veg 10 ways with 10 but, but ingredients we, we, we've had a vegetable shop for 17 years so we think we know everything about vegetables and this is our love letter to vegetables yeah, I wonder I mean you know we, we never know everything about anything no. really no, uh, maybe I, I, that was too no but I wonder what, what you don't know yet that you're still to discover because that will happen won't it Steve uh, well I think every time you find something like it's like anything in life like there's always we're ignorant and we're like we're like this little microcosm of the macrocosm and I think the more you, you delve in the more you realise wow and Dave's peppering to talk so. I, I was going to say we've just started a four acre farm so we're literally at the start of that journey like we're six weeks into it so we're learning about growing vegetables yeah and your first big learning curve really was one summer about 15 years ago this is started from the book we decided we were going to eat local food only local food for a month um, an experiment to try to walk our walk a little more how did that go? Uh, after eating spunion for the third week in a row what's spunion Dave? spunion is spud so, so it's spud and onion and if you don't know what a spud is it's what we call potatoes in Ireland and it comes from traditionally the fork to harvest potatoes was known as a spud so that's why in Ireland we call potatoes spuds but but obviously I think we tried this in June or July and there was only potatoes I think there was some tomatoes and there was onions so it was like oh spunion again for dinner Steve yum and it was kind of, you know, after a while, it was like, OK, well, let's just break out. All right. So that was like three or four years into your vegan journey. When was the um, the the moment, the epiphany when you both decided, let's go full in vegan? And, and was it like because uh, you're twins? Did you think it at the same time or did one of you have to push the other one over the line or what? I, I think as twins, so much of your life is in sync together. And it was never really a, a dream to become a, a vegan or anything like this. this is, we've been eating a vegan diet for almost 20 years, but it was more we were kind of experimenting with life and seeing where where we can could... I can I say something? Okay, you're I was right. gonna say we're both hyper competitive as you can see. So we were always kind of competing, you know, for love and attention every day of our lives. And then we ended up going away traveling after the age of 20. And I think I became vegetarian and then you were like, okay, great. Well now I'm vegan, Dave. And then I was like going, well now I'm eating like vegan level two and then you were like and we kept kind of competing and then we realized we had changed it just our, our whole energy our view on life had changed so much that we came back and we started a vegetable shop with the idea I was going to say what started first was it the shop as a business no no it was more we changed ourselves and we felt much more happier healthier more connected felt more like I feel I feel more myself so as a result it was like I called Dave up and was Dave Dave I want to start a food revolution are you up for it <laughs> yeah and, uh, and Dave thought it was going to be something big and glamorous and was like a vegetable shop revolution I don't get it but uh, yeah, that's what we, that was kind of the, the trust of the happy pair. Again, from the book, uh, The Lack of Diversity, we are alarmed to read while researching this book that there are somewhere in the region of 20,000 edible plants on the planet, yet just five plants make up 75% of our globalised produce system. Mm. Yeah. Can you, can you guess what the five are? Potatoes. Good. I don't think potato. I think potatoes no. might be six or seven. No. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. so. Well, okay. if you think right, the next line, it'll tell you them. 
but it's like it's wheat, it's corn, it's oh, rice, right. it's soya, and sugar, and sugar. I only said potatoes because potatoes are my favorite. Because you talk about you talk about your favorite vegetables in the book. Um, my fa- favorite vegetable by far is the potato. I could live on potatoes. Always. And, and do you mean fried potatoes? Can I can I say one thing? Any kind of potato. Okay, okay. We're Irish, so we like we honestly are like potatoes. It's flowing through our blood veins. Yeah. But uh, and, and we thought we knew everything about potatoes and the best way to cook potatoes. And in this book, we figured out how to to make smashed potatoes. So you've chosen 10 veg to, to nail your colours to the sale, uh, yeah, to the, the mass buy. Yeah, the 10 most common veg and right. the 10 most wasted veg. And that was the idea. And even even on the potato chapter, I remember, like, obviously, <laughs> Dad is super into potatoes because I know you love potatoes. And, and I remember I brought up a, a potatoes Dauphine was, which is typically, you know, cream love, and butter and all sorts Dauphine of things. And, and you came up with a great recipe using coconut milk. And we brought it up and Dad ate the whole feckin' tray of it. Like, he ate the whole tray of it. So it's... Uh, you know, simple and easy. That is simple and easy. Anyway, um, great to meet you both. David, Steve, the happy pair. Uh, we got to go. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. 